Good evening, friends. Uh, this is our next message from the Seven Words on the Cross, Midweek Lenten Services. This one is titled simply, I Thirst, It is Finished. Let me read to you, first of all, from John chapter 19, verses 28 to 30. <clears throat> Later, knowing that all was now completed, and so that the scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on the stalk of the hyssop plant, and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, It is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. It was going to be another hot day. You could tell it early in the morning. It was not yet 9 o'clock, and already the temperature was pushing 80 degrees. Here and there, the city merchants were stirring and rushing around, opening their stalls to make ready for another busy day. This was the beginning of Passover. Lots of things going on, lots of talk in the city. Outside the city walls, they were making ready for another round of crucifixions. Three this time. Two criminals and some fellow named Jesus of Nazareth. The sun was beating down on their heads as the soldiers dug the holes in the ground and made ready with the stakes, with the hammer, the nails, and the ropes. At length, out came the crowd from the city, the two criminals and this man, Jesus. Nine o'clock came, crucifixion time. Hammers and nails, screams of pain, gasps, men stripped naked, bugs and flies everywhere, the heat beating down, sweat rolling off the bodies, blood everywhere, the stench and smell of death, and talking and laughing. Here he is, king of the Jews. Twelve o'clock, darkness, confusion, the sound of panic, people shouting, then silence. Thick, oppressive silence upon the land. Three hours pass, an eternity of darkness. And suddenly, the light shines. There on the center cross was Jesus, clearly about to die. Every breath now is a huge effort, heaving, gasping, fighting for oxygen, resting upon the nail holes while he inhales, sweat pouring off of him, making some strange guttural noises. The experienced soldiers had heard it before, the death rattle. With one last gasp, the sound comes out. You can barely hear it more than two or three feet away. It's more like a moan. It is one word in Greek. Dipso. I thirst. The soldiers got the bowl, a pail that they always carried with them. It had in it sour vinegar. It was kind of a vinegar and wine mixed with water. It was the cheapest drink of the day. It was the drink of the common man. It was the drink of the Roman soldier. Wherever the soldiers went out to do their work, they carried it with them in what would be their version of a canteen. So the soldiers got the wine, took a sponge, dipped it into the sour vinegar wine, and put it on a stalk of the hyssop. And you've probably heard of the hyssop before. You might remember that in the book of Exodus, it was the hyssop plant that was dipped in blood, and the blood of the lamb was put on the doorpost. But now the hyssop is used again in a biblical story. The sponge dipped in the sour wine is put on it. The soldier stretches it out. And in those days, they didn't crucify people very far off the ground. And so, with the stalk, which would be about 18 to 24 inches long, a tall soldier could reach Jesus' lips. As Jesus licked the sponge, a few drops of sour vinegar wine would come into his mouth. Taken in quantity, it was really an astringent that would constrict the throat. But if you drank just a little, it would moisten the lips, moisten the tongue, moisten the throat, just enough so you could say one or two more words. And now Jesus is almost dead. Moments will pass and he will be gone. 
Having moistened his lips, he cries out, It is finished. Another second passes, and then, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. He bowed his head and died. In so doing, he fulfills two Old Testament prophecies. Psalm 22:15, My tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. In Psalm 69, verse 21, They gave me vinegar for my thirst. As Jesus hung on the cross, he made seven different statements, but only one of those statements deals with his personal physical suffering. It is one word in Greek, to in English, I thirst. It is not often appreciated that our Lord died in terrible, terrible pain. And if you run the clock back from 3 o'clock in the afternoon, the moment of his death, back to about 3 o'clock in the morning, and just see what had happened to Jesus as he moves through those hours, what you discover is that our Lord had just been through 12 hours of torture. Arrested in the middle of the night, slapped around, pushed around, mocked, slapped some more, crowned with thorns that went into his scalp, scourged with the cat of nine tails again and again with those sharp pieces of leather studded, studded with bits of bone and stone and metal, hitting him again and again and again until his back was shredded, until you could see right through to the rib cage. They even pulled his beard and ripped it out. They made him carry the cross, and they nailed the nails into his hands, into his feet. But not for one second did he have a moment's rest. Not for one moment had anybody offered him anything. It is not too much to say that when Jesus hung on the cross, he was not the beautiful manicured Savior we often see in the artist's renditions. It's not too much to say that when Jesus hung on the cross, he was a bloody, disfigured version of a human being. It's no wonder he was thirsty. Loss of blood, exposure, heat, exhaustion, dehydration. He'd been on the cross now for six hours. The sweat rolls off him like buckets. It's hot and the flies are buzzing around. The crowd's taunting. The blood mixes with the sweat as it pours off his body. In the end, dehydration sets in. You know what dehydration is like? Well, first it gives you a fever. Then it gives you a terrible throbbing pain in your head. And then cramps in your abdomen and then nausea. Then your eyeballs begin to dry up in the sockets, and then your lips begin to go dry. Then your tongue gets swollen and thick, and then your throat feels like sandpaper. Your vocal cords swell up, and in the end you can barely whisper. It doesn't sound like human words. It kind of sounds like an animal croaking. It's no wonder Jesus was thirsty. I suppose it is one of the ultimate ironies of the biblical story that Jesus cries out, I thirst. Just think about it. He who is the water of life now dies of thirst. And I call your attention to this fact. Jesus was, has not complained at all about his physical condition through all the hours of suffering. When they put the crown on his head, he didn't say, oh, my head. When they scourged him, he didn't say, oh, my back. Like the old spiritual has it, through all that they did, he never said a mumbling word. Now at last, Jesus cries out in the last moments of his life, I thirst. This is the only reference he made to all the sufferings he underwent. And why is that? Well, the Bible says that when Jesus hung on the cross, he knew that his work had been completed. He knew that he had borne the sins of the human race. He knew that he'd done everything he could for you and me. And having done what God sent him to do, having cared for the needs of others, only then does he make a comment about his own intense suffering. That does raise a question, doesn't it? Was Jesus a failure? I mean, you can make a good case for the answer to that question is yes. 
In fact, I think you could make a decent case that Jesus was the greatest failure that the world has ever seen. Just look at his life. He was born into an unimportant family in an unimportant little village. He was ignored. He was taken for granted. He was laughed at. When he talks and when he speaks, the powers that be want nothing to do with him. He faces nothing but ridicule and opposition and misunderstanding all of his life. And in the end, he's crucified like a criminal. His sufferings in those last few hours are unspeakable. When he dies, he appears to be yet another forgotten footnote in history. Yes, I think you could make the case that our Lord was a failure. Is it not true, however, that you can do everything you know to be right and still end up suffering tremendously? Isn't it true that you can walk the path of righteous integrity and still end up having nothing to show for it? You know, friends, you could pray and pray and pray, and your prayers sometimes will not be answered. You can go to work and you can live by the rules. You can do an excellent job and still the day comes when you're fired without warning. You may save your money for the dream of your life and suddenly find your money is gone. You may work and work to make a marriage hold together, and in the end it may fall apart, though you've done everything possible to save it. You may have friends whom you love who will turn against you in the moment of crisis, even though you know you have walked in integrity and told the truth. There's no guarantee, is there? You could do everything right, it could still turn out all wrong. Suffering in tough times are no sign that you are out of the will of God. There's no sign that you are doing something wrong. Oh, you may be doing something wrong, and it's possible that you may have done something wrong back there, and that's why you're suffering now. We all suffer for our mistakes, but far more often when we face difficulties, they do not come because we've done something wrong. Far more often they come because we've done something right, and it's just not worked out. The case in point, the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at him on the cross. Look at that bloody mess on the cross. Look at the Son of God reviled and hated and mocked. Look at him begging for water. What has he done wrong? What sin has he committed? What terrible crime has he done? He has done nothing but obey the Father's will perfectly. And what he got for it was the cross. Are you so sure that the same thing won't happen to you? Or do you buy into that other philosophy that says if you do right, everything is going to come up roses for you? It didn't happen that way for Jesus. Why should it happen that way for you? Do you understand what all of this means? I'm saying your loneliness does not necessarily mean you are outside the will of God. Your poverty does not necessarily mean you are outside the will of God. Your pain does not necessarily mean you are outside the will of God. The broken relationships you've experienced do not necessarily mean that you're outside the will of God. Your sickness does not necessarily mean you're outside the will of God. Why? Because our Lord did the will of God, and he ended up on a cross. So I ask the question again, was our Lord Jesus a failure? No, he was not. He was the greatest success the world has ever seen. Nobody ever accomplished more than Jesus did. But for him, success came through suffering, hardship, loss, and an agonizing death. Are you so sure the same things won't happen to you? Thank God there's another part to this story. Thank God the cross isn't the end. Thank God the story doesn't end at 6 o'clock on Friday evening. On Friday evening, Jesus is dead and buried, and he looks like the greatest, world's greatest failure. But early on Easter morning, the stone was rolled away, and Jesus, the Messiah, came walking out. 
dead on Friday, raised victorious on Sunday. You see, friends, that's the other side of the story. Your sufferings may be used by God in a way greater than anything you ever dreamed of. God may redeem hard times you are going through right now to bring something beautiful into your life far beyond your imagination. But now we're back in Jerusalem. Moments from now, Jesus will be dead. A more hopeless scene you could never imagine. He died in terrible pain. But his death is not the end of the story. On Sunday, he rose in victorious victory. The same Jesus who cried, I thirst, rose from the dead, victorious over the grave. Let us learn this lesson well. Your sufferings do not necessarily mean you are out of the will of God. It's entirely possible that you may do everything God wants you to do and still suffer terribly. Even so, your suffering may yet be redeemed into something much greater than you can imagine. Jesus pointed the way when he cried, I thirst. That was Friday. On Sunday, he rose from the dead to become a gushing spring of living water. Are you suffering right now? Do you live in darkness? Is the way unclear, the light dim, or do you feel the pain of those you love turning against you? Fear not, and do not lose heart. What is happening to you happened first to Jesus, and what happened to him may yet happen to you. Your suffering has a purpose. Your pain has a reason. Your darkness leads on to a brighter, better morning. So friends, run to the cross. Cling to the cross. Embrace the sufferings of Jesus. Though this cannot lessen your pain, it may give you strength to carry on. Jesus suffered before you. He also suffered for you. So, child of God, remember this. As Friday comes before Sunday, so the cross leads on to the empty tomb. And there is no resurrection unless there is first a crucifixion. Until next time, see the vision, live the mission, and feel the passion.